Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Thank you, Joe. Um, yes, invest in the future. <laughs> of course you can. Invest in the future by opening a Standard Bank Money Market Select Investment Account. Not only is Standard Bank lowered the minimum investment amount to 100,000 Rand, but you can earn a higher interest rate of up to 4%. You also get immediate access to your funds. Your capital is guaranteed and you pay zero monthly management fees. So open your account today on the Standard Bank app or in one of their branches. Standard Bank, it can be. Standard Bank is an authorised financial services and registered credit the provider. T's and C's apply. Warren Ingram is a director at Galileo Capital. He's also a personal financial advisor and this is a seamless introduction. Um, Stay invested, Warren Ingram. It's like keeping your mute button off and, and staying active uh, because otherwise you're going to get <laughs> let down and embarrassed. <laughs> Um, and, and so interesting to, to have the conversation today when, when the JSE it's taken, uh, you know, a hiding. It looks like the American market's taking a hiding as well, uh, and and I'm assuming that the headlines tomorrow are going to be, you know, loud and uh, and terrifying. And and then we're talking tonight about staying invested. And and I think, you know, I always want to tell people that there there are always really good reasons to be afraid of investing. There are always going to be really high quality well-reasoned arguments about uh, about why markets might fall over now and and why it's maybe not a good idea to invest just yet you know just hang on a bit the, you know the 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 um the, the corner's going to turn the wheel's going to turn uh, uh and and what i want to say is uh, don't, don't listen to that stuff you know the the the, the problem is that uh when we, when we're all fearful when we're all afraid and when the headlines are big and loud uh, that's usually where where uh, the market is is offering us some great opportunities, and and I feel when when markets are collapsing, uh, and 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 just really looking gloomy, that's the time to to kind of switch your mindset from from being fearful to saying, in in bad market conditions, there is almost never a reason for me to be a seller. I, I need to be a buyer, or I need to be holding. Uh, and and the only almost to hold almost. Is just, Hold on, let's just pause there for a second, Warren, and please don't forget your point, because I'm sure it was important. But you said there's almost never a reason to be a seller. That, the importance there is on almost. Please explain that. So so I think there, there, there you know, off the top of my head, there would be two reasons. One, uh, you know, in, in your very own sort of personal financial planning position, if you're if you are invested, but but you've made uh, and let's say you've made good investment decisions and you, you own high quality investments that happen to have taken a knock because the whole market's down, uh, you, you know, th- then ordinarily you, you should remain invested and r- ride the tide and and wait for things to turn. However, if you've got some other issues, for example, you're sitting on an enormous amount of debt, uh, you know, for your own position or you're fearful of your job and and you've got debt and you're not, you're not quite sure, you know, that you'll be able to pay off your, your home loan on your house or, or whatever the deal may be, uh, then by all means, Take a wider view of your of your whole financial planning position to say, okay, I, I need to actually make a sensible financial planning decision, which might you know narrowly be a bad investment decision because you know the, the bank's not going to understand uh, me not paying my mortgage because I want to wait for the market to turn. The bank's going to ask me to pay my mortgage, and after that, I'm going to start getting letters of demand. So, so I think that's the one good reason. The other one to kind of jump back w- would be. You know, January, February last year, we, we're we're you know we're starting to hear these noises of 
of uh, th this coronavirus coming out of, uh, you know, coming out of Asia and, and we start to see countries looking at these lockdowns, then you might look at, uh, you know, let's say the, the South African listed property sector and, 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 you know, it's a sector which had an incredibly strong run for a very long period of time, but unfortunately sits on, on a lot of debt. Uh, and and if you had some kind of inkling that that, that the the economy here would go into lockdown, then, then that might be a rational reason to say, well, hang on, uh, I need to sell because okay. this is a, an event which which could cause catastrophic damage to 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 a sector. It's very specific. It's very narrow, uh, and and you know in in that instance, you know, I might be avoiding a lot more damage in the future. Having said that. Uh, th there was no chance, uh, you know, for example, you know, me sitting on air with you at, at that time, there's no chance I sat there thinking to myself, oh, well, this is a great time to sell the listed property sector. By the time everything had happened, you know, and we all wiped our eyes, uh, you know, it, 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 we had gone into lockdown. The market had taken 50% off listed property. So it's an easy one to understand in hindsight. But if you could see a very specific factor that, that causes uh, a particular company or a particular sector to be severely damaged, you know, and especially if they're carrying a lot of debt, then maybe that's a good time to be a seller. Okay, but I mean, what we have learned, I think, through many, many market cycles over many, many years, is that the longer more sort of market graph you look at, the less significant the periods of chaos, pain, turmoil actually appear to be. I mean, you know, on a 100-year graph, 1929 almost doesn't feature as anything significant. However, had you been living through it at the time, it was catastrophic. Um, and it is about understanding that, you know, markets are for the long term. Um, and if you look at recent market crises, we, we, we recover, you know, markets seem to recover more and more quickly with shorter and shorter sort of refractory periods, if you like, um, when it comes to to the big sell-offs and, and the bounces. Absolutely. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, also to understand that that no matter who, who the commentator is, no matter how, how intelligent they are, no matter how eloquent their argument or how strong their academic background or, you know, how long their investment track record has been, we have to know that there is not a single market uh, market expert alive that can tell us what's going to happen in a week's time with any kind of confidence. They might, you know, posit a fantastic argument, but that's all they can do. And and how how often you know the big predictions are are just horribly wrong. And and the one you know the, the the one way to to insulate yourself and protect yourself from that is to say, over long periods of time, if you stay invested and you don't need to be a genius, you know, you you, you buy like you know just a generic you know, stock market unit trust or a stock market index, you know, nothing particularly special. If you stay invested in the bad times, and if you can, you add to your, to your investments when, when the markets are going badly, uh, the markets do recover. The companies that are in those uh, indices and in those uh, unit trusts start to, to deliver good returns again. We don't know when and we won't always know why, but what we know is that it does happen. Then all of a sudden, things start to go well and, and we, we start to go on our way again. And, and I think that that's the that, that that is the predictable thing we can say about investments. To to try and say, well, you know, we we can see this economy is taking a tough time now. We think inflation is going to happen in America. You know, we we think gold's going to shoot up because you know that always happens when there's inflation. Uh, you know, wh whatever the deal is, it's amazing how often th those things that definitely should happen just don't happen. Uh, and and that's the reality yeah. of investing is you, you can be really clever about markets, but but the market will always humble you.
And to me, understanding, uh, uh, you know, yeah. understanding that you just need to stick it out, that, that doesn't require a lot of decision-making. That just means do nothing and sit on your hands. And then always remember the sage of Omaha, Warren Buffett, who says, our favorite holding period is forever. And that's not a bad way to think about investing. It's just, you know, if I've bought something and it's quality and it's diversified, maybe I should just sit on my hands, hold the investment and, and watch the space. I think you're absolutely right, Warren. And uh, the history history books will, will prove you to be right as well. Uh, in times of uncertainty and chaos, the best uh, holding period is the long term. And there are lots of articles online which you can find which will tell you the risks of selling at the wrong moment because invariably you will sell at the wrong moment and then you will try to buy back at the wrong moment as well. You can't go wrong, generally speaking, by holding out. In a moment, we're going to discuss with Warren on... Freddie's instruction, because Freddie sent me a mail, say, please could you discuss with Warren the best mechanism or mechanisms for common people to take money offshore? It's a great question, Freddie. That with Warren in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Are preference shares still a thing? I'll ask Warren about that in just a little bit. But first, uh, Freddie's question, Warren. Please could you discuss with Warren the best mechanisms for us common people to take money offshore? There's been lots of discussion about direct investment versus this, versus that. I know that's the technical stuff. And tax and inheritance implications, etc., etc., etc. What should I do? I think it's a um, it is a brilliant question, and and I think it's one that uh, that uh, you know as as common folks struggle with all the time, and 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 so a, a couple of points to make, uh, Freddie, and the, and the first one is that you you have to watch your costs uh, really carefully when you when you're deciding to convert your rands to dollars, pounds, or euros, or w- whatever your your currency of choice is, because if we look at the banking environment, they're typically going to charge you two sets of fees. They're going to charge you an express commission. So they're going to say to you, we're going to charge you 2% uh, of the value of your rands that you want to convert into into the foreign exchange. And then there is another fee, which is a bit more sneaky. And that's going to be the difference between the buying price of the currency and the selling price of the currency. And you'll always see that the one, you know, there's quite a significant difference there. And uh, the, the, the foreign exchange dealers, the banks uh, and the like are the ones that are, that are making money on that, that difference. So, so there are two, two, dif- two different and very clear fees that they charge. And, and so I think, you know, looking at, uh, looking at this to me, the, the one trick is make, make sure that you try and do larger amounts than, than smaller amounts. So in other words, don't do, you know, your 5,000 rand a month debit order where you're trying to convert your, your rands to dollars every month. Rather, you know, let it accumulate over three, four or five months and then convert because often the banks uh, w- will give you a discount. And and then on that point, uh, you know, who, who else is out there? There are some uh, foreign exchange businesses that specialize in helping, uh, you know, individuals and companies convert their foreign exchange to, uh, you know, convert their rands into foreign exchange. And and they'll they'll also do do this for you, and, and they they'll be quite clear and explicit on on their pricing. So so definitely worth shopping around. Uh, I think some of um, some of uh, Freddie's questions around this around you know using Bitcoin for example. I'm 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 not convinced. I think the the volatility of Bitcoin is huge. You know to to try and take 
uh, you know, cryptocurrencies and to, and to use those to convert, you know, to, to, to an overseas investment, to me, doesn't make sense. So, so I think, uh, you know, definitely try and bulk up the money as much as you can. And, and bulking up is relative, relative, relative to all of us. You know, we're, we're not all billionaires. And, and so, you know, just make sure that you bulk up as much as you can. Definitely shop around. Ask the banks, uh, you know, to, to, to be clear on what they're going to charge you. Ask the foreign exchange specialists. And, and don't be afraid to ask for, for suggestions from, from friends and family, but make sure that, you know, if you're not using one of the recognized banks, make sure that, that the companies that you are using are authorized dealers with, with the Reserve Bank. You, you can check that. Make sure that there are financial services providers. So you can check that with the FSCA as well. They, they have to have a, a thing called an FSP number to, to tell you that. And, and so they, they just make sure that you do your homework and then, and then shop around like crazy because I think you can get better better prices on, on foreign exchange conversion. Don't just accept the fact that it's on your bank and on your profile and on your app that that's the best deal you're going to get. That's not always true. Be careful also, I mean, of the simplicity of it, because just because it may be easiest to use your bank doesn't mean you get there, you're getting the best deal from them. But also, if you're going to transfer money from your bank to another provider, check out the fees on that transfer, for example, depending on the quantum of money that you're looking to transfer. Uh, when we, do you talk about bulking up? I mean, you know, if I've got 2,000 Rand a month to, to put away and I then save up to 10,000 Rand a month, is that going to be enough or do I need to be saving 10,000 Rand a month to get to 50 or 20,000 Rand a month to get to 100 or 50,000 Rand a month to get to 250,000 Rand? What sort of quantums are we talking about that is a decent enough amount of money so that the fees actually matter a lot less, Warren? Uh, I think that it's that the golden rule of thumb, unfortunately, is that that the bigger is always better. So the larger the amount, the lower the fees will be at some point and the more negotiating power you have got. So, you know, to use your example of someone who's doing 2,000 rand a month, I would probably do something a little bit different. You know, I would probably say, you know, start by, let's just say, by, by buying a, a, a RAND-based overseas index. Let's just say, you know, you get that, the world index, and do a debit order into that for the next, you know, three, four years, uh, um, so that you're trying to lock in that exchange rate all the time. Every debit order, you're converting your RANDs into dollars in effect. And then when that amount is big enough, and, and I think big enough, truthfully, is probably more than 50,000 RAND, you know, in, in fact, probably closer to 100,000 RAND at the least. Uh, to try and get some sort of negotiating power on your on your exchange rates, but but to, to do let's say three or four or five thousand rand, uh, I think you're in for a very tough time if you if you're trying to get a good a good rate on on converting your rands to to an, to a foreign exchange. And then be very careful where you put that money and where your investments are housed. Maybe this is a topic of discussion for another day, Warren, because I think it requires a lot more detail. Because simply because you know the technicalities of the stuff are an absolute minefield in terms of capital gains taxes and which territories have got double taxation agreements with South Africa and which is the right sort of place to hold your money. Um, and I think a lot of people uh, get caught short when they go directly. They try and think they're, they're saving money on costs and they don't get proper advice. And off they go and they go put their money in New York and, you know, one day when they die, they get nailed on capital gains tax, for example. Um, just, yeah, can we, is it, can you summarize it in a minute or should we push it to another day? I, I, I would love to, 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 do a, to, do the, to have a proper discussion on this next week if we can.
Okay, um, we'll extend Freddie's question then to next week. Producers, please remember. Warren, please remember, because I won't. Uh, do preference shares still exist, by the way? I was wondering about this the other day. Um, preference shares are a particular class of share. They feel quite old school. Uh, are they still around? They, they are still around. Uh, and and so d- just to give a bit of background, what, what is a preference share? It's it's a, a bit of a, a hybrid, so so it's a, a bit of a, a share on the one side, but it, it's also a little bit like a, like a debt, a debt instrument, like a bond or a almost a fixed deposit. So so typically, what happens is if a company wants to borrow money, uh, and usually these will be large businesses that are already listed on the stock exchange. What, what they can do is they can go to a bank and they can go and negotiate with the bank to lend them uh, lend them money, and and that is one way to go. The other way is they might want to issue a bond of their own, uh, and the third way is that they can they can issue a preference share. And what the preference share will do is that they will issue it, let's say, at one rand a share, and they will attach to that a promise. And the promise will be when our company is making profit, we will give you a percentage of prime. So, so for example, you know, usually it will be somewhere around seventy-five percent of the prime interest rate. So, if prime now, to make my math simple, if prime is at ten percent, that means that you'll get a dividend from the company of seven point five percent a year. Important point is that's only when the company is making profit. So it's not a guarantee, uh, and and it can it can change. So so if the company decides we need to retain our cash even if we've made profits because of COVID and we're scared of of you know building up debt or something in the future, we're not paying out uh, you know dividends this year. Then the preference share dividend, dividend uh, or the preference shareholder will be getting nothing, um, and and so that's the first big thing to note. And and the second is the price of dividend uh, of of preference shares does change. So I, I mentioned that they they might issue them at one rand, and if the market feels that interest rates are falling, you might see that the price of preference shares rise, or they, they might fall, uh, you know, if, if the market sees that, you know, yeah. interest rates are going to rise. So, so they don't, they're not guaranteed. They, there's no dividend uh, guarantee at all. And there's no price guarantee. And, and so they have fallen out of favor to some extent, especially with, with dividends tax being implemented a few years ago. Uh, you know, preference shares became less and less popular. And especially for the banks, you know, it wasn't something that they, they would take advantage of anymore because there were some banking regulations that changed and made them less popular okay. for banks as well to, to, to raise money. Warren Ingram, thank you very much. Warren is an executive director at Galileo Capital, 